As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am Joe Devine. And today I'm delighted to be enjoined. To be enjoined. That's quite nice, isn't it? To be enjoined. I think that means we're now married. I hope so. Uh, because I would love to spend the rest of my life with John McKenzie. No. Yeah, the, how you doing, buddy? The feeling buddy? is mutual. You okay? Yeah, good, thanks. Good stuff. Also joined today by JJ Bulver Bullard. I quite want to do that voice that I was doing earlier. Which one? Like, I'm guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's forcing it into the show, Steve. He won't allow you to cut it. Now, say one thing. Uh... uh... Lost oh, I put him on the spot and he lost his confidence. I can talk about a lot of things. I'm there biased. you go. I'm not doing it. Not much. What's happening on the podcast today? Well, so many things happened today. Aston Villa and Newcastle happened today. Oh, it didn't, but it happened a few days ago. But it happened today in our chat. And for you, whenever you're listening, even in the future, it's happening today. We also discussed the surprising value of maple syrup to the Canadian economy. Thanks, John, for bringing us to that. Have Arsenal completely fucked it after the weekend? Yes or no? I'm not sure that we reached a conclusion, because I think we started talking about other things. (laughs) (laughs) Namely, I tried to do a dressing room speech, didn't I? Because I thought I'd be a good one in there at half time. So I gave that a go and uh, I think it was pretty good. I, I, think, say. It's, I think it's a well-structured, um, improvised section. I well, well-structured. Yeah. I did spend a lot of time in Wales as a child, so it wouldn't be a surprise to me or you. Or did I say Welsh? If I structured my things in a Welsh way. Mm, I, meant, um, I meant well Well-structured. Well, things got hazy around that end, but things cleared up again when we discussed Brighton. And uh, Chelsea, good God, what a strange affair that was over the weekend. We talk broad, we take five steps back and look at the big picture, macro. What else happened? Uh, Does looking into a light make you sneeze? (laughs) We talk about that. And also we roam through the quarterfinal of uh, quarterfinals of the Champions League. Betwixt and between the first and second legs, that was an exciting bit. You've got to hold on to get to that bit today. I do tell you, it's not easy to get to that bit. <laughs> um, but, the retention uh, rate should be rather low. That's right. Episode. The retention rate probably will be very low for this episode. But do you know what the retention rate is exceedingly high for? The Athletic. It's The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Where if you wish to retain yourself for long, head there. Because everything you read, you read for long. You know what I'm saying? But don't retain 
you don't retain. Well, you have to read the same page over and over again. I actually, yeah, I actually don't retain information either. It's yeah. one of the downsides of being me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Well, all that's left for me to do now is leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of... Me trying to work out where to go on holiday. Yes, that. That, that, that yeah. On my own. to begin of course on such a big week then Aston Villa 3 nil Newcastle big game of the weekend or was anticipated to be uh, John and JJ it had the the Saturday prime time slot is that the prime time slot the early slot is that the prime time slot or is it the nah, latest slot the early the slot it's the early slot which yeah. one's the prime time slot I would say 5.30 on the Saturday yeah I wonder if it's Sunday. Now. I think it's Sunday, four, yeah. I think it's Sunday. 4pm on Sunday. 4pm on Sunday? Yeah. Maybe yeah. it is that, isn't it? Although Super Sunday is not what it was. I like a 2pm or that's good on yeah. Sunday, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, then it was in the slot the furthest from the Super slot. Um, but uh, it was a terrific game of football. Maybe the result could have been anticipated a little bit, John. You believe that Newcastle are kind of the perfect team for this current Aston Villa side to, to face, don't you? Yes, I think that um, there's certain things about Newcastle that are quite predictable, and part of the reason why we've seen Newcastle drop off a little bit after the uh, after the winter break. We had a winter break after the we World Cup. The World Cup, I suppose, we had a winter yeah. break. Yeah, um, it was the World Cup. Yeah, I think we've we've seen a number of teams now recognise ways to cause them problems. So obviously Newcastle get a huge amount of upside from their high press. Teams that can bypass that are gonna are gonna do quite well. But also their build up, I think, has been um, struggling recently. So JJ and I actually went to uh, the Brentford game, uh, Brentford Newcastle. Uh, was it last week? Two weeks yeah, ago. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah. And in that game, Brentford absolutely dominated the first half. Uh, Newcastle came out playing the the usual structure that they play a four three three build up structure, and um, yeah they couldn't. They, Brentford just had their number. They knew exactly how to stop them from moving the ball down the, the field. In the second half, uh, Newcastle actually changed up. So they <laughs> they um, they basically went sort of four four two four two three one ish. They pushed Gimaresh up and they brought on Callum Wilson alongside yeah. uh, Alexander Isak. And um, as a result of that change. Brentford really struggled to to stop them from building up, and so that changed the game completely. So, um, I think there's, we're already seeing teams recognizing the way that Newcastle are building up and, and causing them problems in that way. Brentford mm. couldn't respond when when they changed at, at half time. They actually in this game, the, the the Newcastle Villa game, Eddie Howe changed things up at half time as well. But but Villa clearly had uh, a prep for that as well. But mm. um, Villa do a, a number of things quite well. Um, Look how easily interrupted he is. We think he's been here for a year. We think he's getting really, really good, don't we? But there's still some things like this where you just move a cable and John stops like a dog who's seen a squirrel. I mean, we've done videos where I've worn every single shirt in the building. <laughs> That's right. Take the one at a time and we got away with that. No. So, so Villa under Emery, obviously really, really great build-up structures. <laughs> they um, and they also really good at, at sort of, like, similar to Roberto De Zerbi, mm. um, baiting in the opposition to generate space that they can then, uh, uh, they can then, transition through artificially you're talking about Villa now yes let me set the scene for you while you you do that because Villa I believe when they won this game might have changed since because there have been games that have happened since then but when they won this game 
they had taken more points than every team since Emery started in the Premier League than except except Arsenal, right? Uh, so theoretically, they if there was a Premier League table that started uh, the day that Emery joined, October Aston Villa, the twenty fourth, October the twenty fourth pre World Cup, they would have been second in that table, which is quite remarkable, really. I mean, where are they currently in the league? They're, are they seventh, Steve Hankey? They are sixth. Sixth. They're sixth right now, so they're theoretically fighting for a for a, a Europa League place. Uh, it's sort of snuck up on many people, but it's it's uh, it's happening. And this this victory against Newcastle kind of threw it in your face a little bit, didn't it? The three what in my face? Not your face, just one. Oh, right. the, the one yeah, face, no, of course. the collective face. Yeah, I, I, Villa have obviously been on a really good run of form. <laughs> Sorry, this is the whole face thing is confusing for you. I know it is, <laughs> but you, you, you carry on. Yeah, the Villa have been in a really good run of form uh, under Unai Emery. Um, we made a video on Friday looking at how much they've been overperforming their their numbers mm. um, to suggest that they probably aren't the second best team in the league, despite the fact that the the table. Per point says that yes. under under Emery at least. So I had to look a little bit at that, dug through some of the numbers, upset a lot of Villa fans, mm. um, but also explained why there might be explanations for why they are um, overperforming their mm. underlying numbers. So focused particularly on Ollie Watkins, the, um, the Una Emery approach, which I talked about: deep build up, generating space to transition into getting Ollie Watkins into those really dangerous areas, particularly you know getting in behind back lines in between the two centre backs, yeah. really really. Um, uh, productive way of getting him to, to in well, front of goal. Well, he said before the game, he was interviewed by the, the Sky uh, commentary team or BT, was it BT? I don't know, whichever one. It was BT, it was BT whichever one of BT Sport. It's it different was. to BT. BT Sport. Um, he was interviewed by British Telecom uh, before the game <laughs> uh, via satellite. And, uh, uh, you know, they asked him, what's different for you, Ollie Watkins, uh, under Emery? Because, I mean, his, he's absolutely outstanding. Like His performance in this game was incredible. He's electric to watch, right? And uh, he said, very simply, I used to chase into the corner flag to put a shift in for the team, and now I stay in the width of the box. Yeah. And, like, that's the difference, right? Pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, under, under what Emery... What do you think? Was that? Can I get more of a reaction from you? I think it's very cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I think it is cool as well. Cool. And we talked about that in the video. We, we showed how right. the, their in-possession structure is designed mm-hmm. to, to get Watkins into those sorts of moments. Um, and yeah, that, under Emery, Villa are brilliant. I, I'm a big uh, Villa fans may not recognise this, but I'm a massive fan of Unai Emery. I have been watched mm. his teams for a number of years. Uh, I am sure that he will get them challenging for Europe in the ne- next few seasons. And if they get into Europe, he will do very well with them because they, he does very well in Europe. My video is simply pointing out that at the current rate that they're on, <laughs> it is uh, it's, it's probably unsustainable. So I don't. This, uh, we had this chat over the weekend, but what happens, listeners? Worth bringing people inside the inner circle here now. Yeah, right? I like this. John spots something interesting about a football team, makes a video about it that the vast majority of people enjoy and find informative. But usually the fans of that team, if it's not wholly positive and saying that your team is the best team of all time, better, better even than Guardiola's Barcelona team, then it's wrong, yeah? And then many people will send John vicious horrific messages and emails over the following days. What a strange world we live in. Yeah, I know. I agree with that comment I just made. Isn't it weird? Yes, it is, Joe. Now, listen, uh, as, as already illustrated by John, the only way, the only way that you think Villa aren't overperforming is if you believe Villa are the second best team in the Premier League. If you do not believe that, 
They are overperforming, and that is the end <laughs> of the fucking conversation. Okay, to say they're overperforming doesn't mean oh they should be in League One because we hate them and they're bad. That's not what anyone said here. Nobody said that. Just calm down, for fuck's sake. You're not your football club. Like you it's aren't. not. It's not an attack on you. No. It's, it's not, a team you support. It's not even an attack. And you're a customer as well. That's right. Think about that. Yeah, customer. Go and spend your money, customer. The 12th man, you paid to be it. Please keep watching the videos, though. But um, <laughs> anyway, no, it's towards the end of the season, isn't it? You get ground down after a while of uh, people just, you know, repeatedly, uh, you know, calling you a... <laughs> <laughs> it's not nice for anyone. Especially it's not, it's in the not. office. Yeah. yeah, it does happen a lot in the office. Yeah, but yeah. despite Villa fans' best efforts, I still have a soft spot for Villa. I love Unai Emery. I love the way mm. they're playing. They thought they were excellent against Newcastle. They were weekend. good, weren't they, Really JJ? good to watch. Yeah, I mean, the problem I had with this game is that we were mostly texting during it yeah. in our little group, so I don't feel like I've watched as much as I needed to. I know what you mean To be able that, to yeah. assess that, which is a problem. But it was a nice chat. Uh, yeah, Villa, like John says, are good. I don't yeah. think they're the second best team in the league. Um <sighs> I know. You're really willing to put that view out. I'm there. willing to say that. Um, I thought Newcastle were brilliant against Brentford in that game that we went and saw, and I thought the change at how we made it half time worked really well. And then I, like the, the real difference you got, and they, they sort of missed it by having Isaac up front from the start rather than Wilson, is that Wilson is probably just more of a hardy player and then gets himself put about. It sounds really basic, but it kind of works when a lot of what Newcastle do is based on intensity and aggressiveness. And then you have Isaac, who's not that. He's an amazing player, Isaac. I love watching him. Mm. But he's not the kind of player who's going to cause loads of physical issues towards Mings and Conte at the back by just like getting about him, trying to body them. No. Whereas when you have Wilson there, and the second half they put them both on, right? So they had. They did. And, and actually, to be fair, Newcastle's one of their best opportunities came very soon after Callum Wilson uh, had joined the game. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, he's a really good player. I think Isaac <laughs> is the more technically. Um, skillful player like he does amazing things with the ball every first touch he takes takes the ball away from someone I know that's what you're meant to do really mm. but he just does things I don't know I don't know when you would know when to tackle him because he just starts doing little flicks and stuff and then goes with it it's always for a purpose though it's never like mm. you know some people just do tricks and stuff for no real reason like Anthony spins around doesn't do anything no point but like Isaac will do all nice stuff that works uh, what was I talking about Aston Villa being good yeah and then yeah. you started to talk in depth about Newcastle yeah. yeah well that was more interesting to me I think that that bit because I feel like John's covered Aston Villa really well yeah let's stay on Villa just for one moment um, uh, you know we already said Ollie, Ollie Watkins gets a lot of the plaudits for, for the game but Jacob Ramsey was really really good as well he's kind of growing into an interesting player isn't he John yeah and it's one of these players who comes through, comes through a youth system and then becomes Premier League worthy I think that's mm. always really exciting especially for a fan base to see that your, your youth system is, is, is working but yeah, yeah. Excellent, and there's so much flexibility in that in that team as well. So Jacob Ramsey's played on either side. He's played. Uh, I don't think he's played in the middle, but you, you, you get Wendia who can play as a second striker, or you can play in one of the wide areas. We've had John McGinn playing out wide, also playing in one of the double pivot spots as well. Um, you can have Leon Bailey up front, and if he he plays, he he drifts out to the wide areas. Whereas if Wendia's up front, he drops inside, and mm. the wide player on that side pushes forward. So loads of flexibility um, in terms of their in possession stuff, but also everything is so rigid, rigid and structured. Everyone knows what they're doing, and I think that makes it really enjoyable to watch. I, I, this is the impression I get from, from Villa fans as they're watching the game and they can see that their coach has a plan. Mm. And um, yeah, it, it takes me back to when Leeds had Marcelo Bielsa. You're watching these games and even when you don't win games, 
you can see that the, yeah. the, there is an idea there. There's and consideration. Yeah, behind exactly. It, yeah. And I think that that gives you a, that gives a lot of credit to managers in the bank when um, when they when they have that sort of approach. Let me ask you this: We mentioned this already with Newcastle just before the idea that potentially second half of the season, post World Cup, they might have been found out a little bit what Eddie Howe's doing with the team and opposition teams now have enough information to know how to best counter them. Presumably, that will happen to Villa as well. Yeah, especially because Unai Emery is a very structured coach. Um, so a lot of, I mean, we've, we, we can talk, you can watch a, a Villa game and you know exactly what's going to happen within reason. Like right. the, there's different routes that they can take out in the build-up, but the structure of the build-up will, will look the same. So when should we expect that to sort of take effect with opposition teams? I mean, presumably, like teams are going to start paying attention to Villa now if they hadn't already. Yeah. I think that it will happen next. Ne- over the summer, yeah. Premier League analysts will have a lot of time to go through um, the way that teams have been playing. And and the other thing that happens is the same thing that's happened with Newcastle is that if, when New- when Eddie Howe arrived at Newcastle, they were in a relegation battle. And so when opposition teams face them, they're like, this guy, this team is a, is a lower table team. We just need to go out and be proactive. We need to be the protagonists and play our game. Mm-hmm. This season, obviously, they've ended up being in the Champions League conversation. And as a result, teams now are like, well, this, is, this Newcastle team are a very good side. So we will play them as though they are a very good side and they'll change their, their tactical approach. Mm-hmm. And I think that will happen with, with Villa as well. Yeah. At the moment, they're probably coming up against a lot of teams who are like, we should go out and play our, our regular style against them. Yeah. What will start happening is that teams will, will see that they're really good in transition. They'll sit deeper. They'll make it harder for, opposite, for, for Villa to be able to break down their block. And, and th- what, when that happens, the big question is what? How do you solve those how problems they as they it, rose? Yeah. It as makes me rose. think of Wayne Rooney. Do you remember when Rain, Wayne Rooney? Rain Rooney. Rain Rooney. Do you remember when Rain Rooney was, was a young player, 16, 17, coming through Everton and then Manchester United, before every team put two defenders on him? And he was incredible. And then every team started to double up defending him and he just became a very, very he good He just became Rain Rooney. He just became Rain Rooney, yeah. Mm. Um, it's sort of the same kind of thing, isn't it, JJ? Yes, exactly the same thing. Exactly the it's same. Exactly the same thing. Yes. Um, one of the things John's in there, I think, is interesting because it's almost like uh, this is the perfect game to show the difference between what Howe's got because people know how Newcastle play and people are figuring out what Emery's doing with it. And like the, the way Newcastle want to play, they couldn't do it in that game. Being constantly showed out wide, Villa always had a four or like a five in the midfield, like, mm. like clustered together. So they have to go wide, which is not what they really want to do. And then they would be shut down when they went wide as well. So they couldn't really progress the ball. They couldn't knock it long. They were losing those uh, balls. You had Isaac versus two massive lads at the back. Mm. So that's another thing you can't really do, which is why maybe Wilson would be the better choice there. But that's, yeah, that's what I mean. Like It's quite a good example of how those two things match. Their, well, would, you, would you start Isaac and uh, Callum Wilson t- together? Because it had, neither of them have started a game together for Newcastle yet, but we have examples of them playing together in the second half of games, although maybe it's a bit of a game state issue. Well, I don't really like a 4-4-2. No. But you don't have to be that. You can play Isaac as he did against Brentford as the player behind the number nine. So yeah. you can do that. And then you join in the last lines because formations don't really matter. It's just having players on the pitch in different times, yeah. in different positions. Uh, so you could do that, yeah. I mean, you can always play two. I mean, yeah, you could do that if you want. I don't know. Let's talk about Anthony Gordon now, the Newcastle United player that came from Everton that cost £40 million. Rated? Whelmed? Underrated? <laughs> overrated? What do you guys think? I thought that uh, he wasn't a particularly f- uh, fantastic player. Mm. I've been watching him on TV, but in real life, I can see it. And you see it in things that are kind of intangible, like you can see his um, aggressiveness 
uh, like things quality that are of in, touch. In, intangible. Like you would see him in a tree, or you would see him like. A, well, you, you can't measure. Well, well, what what I mean, maybe it's the wrong word. <laughs> you, you can't measure his. Oh, okay. There's no like data for aggression. When I look at the clouds, I see. Oh, is it, is it a cumulonimbus? No, it's Anthony Gordon. Exactly. Yeah, because <laughs> right. he lives in the clouds yeah. as well. The two we options for clouds, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cumulonimbus Nimbus or, or Gordon. Yeah. A forty million. A lot of spendulies, yeah. a lot of fellows. What's his deal, though? What's he? What's he doing? Is he, am I going to be impressed by him in the future? Uh, I mean, the, the market's like obviously ramped prices up, and I think if you look at some of the, especially in this last window that we've gone through, there's players who clubs have spent a lot of money for who previously I think when you spend that amount of money you expect the player to come in immediately and have an impact um, so I think yeah there's definitely over there's definitely overpay there but that's normal for an English player though he's young yeah. like 22 so you play the English tax for a start so you have a homegrown player that's really important when you get in Champions League stuff as well Yeah, uh, room to definitely improve as a player if you get coached right and he's got that he's got the right intensity and aggression you want of a player to play in that Eddie Howe style so it's a great tactical fit for what they want to do um, and yeah, that's kind of it. Like, it, it, did you watch the clip of him not enjoying being substituted? I was there when it happened. Oh, you, it's because he, he got subbed on. Game, he got it? subbed on, yeah. and then gets subbed off towards the end, and it's embarrassing. I've been subbed on and subbed off plenty of times. Right. It's always humiliating, right? Yeah. <laughs> Even at Sunday League, when, even when you're the coach, when you're losing seven, <laughs> you're subbing yourself on and off. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't the coach. No, no, you weren't the coach. I was just being subbed on and off. I mean, yeah. it was when I was fourteen, fifteen, playing in in Veruri for Colony Colts. You get subbed on and off as a child. Yeah, well, I was rubbish when I was that young. Yeah, but presumably when you're a child, you just let them carry on anyway. I mean, who No, cares? I mean, I'm just not... I mean, like, in Veruri. I was always... It's I, an important game there. The, I was always in space. The Aberdeenshire derby. the problem, because yeah. you want to be getting the ball, but I was in space away from where the people were. Right. So on one, case, on one hand, I'm doing things very well, because I'm keeping the structure in place for a switched ball. The yeah. other problem is that when the ball did indeed be switched towards me, it would go out for a throw-in. Right. <laughs> Right, right, I see what you're So the better thing to do is take JJ off and get someone That's else That's quite on. sad, isn't it? Well, I've got plenty of stories like that from my childhood, Joe. Okay, tell us another one. <laughs> um, uh, once I was signed by Newcastle for £14 million, and no one believed in me, but I did. <laughs> and, I, and I eventually grew to become Anthony Gordon. You, you grew into... I became Anthony Gordon. Anthony Gordon. And a cloud. Yeah. Steve's typing in the doc. Unless they have anything else to say on this, I'd happily move on. <laughs> <laughs> I'd cut this whole bit. Out. I would like to say that, that I think Anthony Gordon is maybe underrated because he does have like high upside in terms of out of possession stuff and people often undervalue that stuff. He's good off the ball. He's good off the ball. That's what you're saying. Yeah. And okay. in a system like, as, as JJ's mentioned, Eddie Howe's Newcastle, that's a valuable asset to have. In fact, yeah. maybe the most important asset for a forward to have. Could it be? Well, I mean... Obviously, you want your forwards to be creative and, and score goals as yeah. well, right? But That's what I want. You have to be able to do the out-of-possession stuff as well, which mm. is why I think the price ramped up. Not not to mention the fact that at Newcastle as well, people will expect them to have a lot more money. So yeah. I think that will drive drive, drive the and price. That's why like, Murphy well. plays as well, when Almond's been injured. But yeah. uh, not, uh, it's not going to get you lots of goals and assists or whatever, create huge amounts of chances, but very tactically disciplined and does exactly what you need. And that's one of the most important bits in that sort of system. And that mm. is why Villa struggle, because the upside that Newcastle have often is generating chances through pressing. And if they can't do that... <laughs> If you have a good build-up structure to get around their high press, yeah. then you take away you know, a big chunk of their, their dangerous chances. The other thing is, is if you stop them from being able to build up from the back, which is what Villa did, you stop them from being able to generate chances in that way. And so they were basically stymied by in both, both in and out of possession by Villa. Yeah. Okay. Interesting, isn't it, how there's kind of like underrated skills within football, off-the-ball stuff being one of them. I'm just wondering what underrated traits are in 
human beings, <laughs> friends and partners. You compassion. Know, compassion is a good one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Ability to fix things. Handiwork. You know, uh, that yeah. kind of thing. Underrated. I guess making people feel nice. It's just, you know. Yeah. Being warm. Warmth, I suppose. Warmth. Yeah. Not in terms of actual <laughs> heat. <laughs> I think warmth is underrated. Depends how hot you can get. People rate warmth, though, don't they? Aren't they always saying, oh, that person, that person's warm? Yeah, well, it's nice to be warm, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but is it, it's, it is nice, but isn't it rated? Yeah, also, yeah I guess. What's what, underrated? Um, uh, controlling levels of evil. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think the, uh, the capitalist system that we live in rates that very highly indeed. Now, let's move on. Before we all lose our jobs. Yes. <laughs> uh, is it time for a break or are we moving yeah, on? Yeah, let's try a little break in there. little break not? there, yeah. yeah. Bring down the system! <laughs> yeah? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yes, I believe in the Federal Reserve. Now, let's begin. <laughs> let's carry on and discuss um, more. I would actually wish the gold standard had come back because I lack gold. Did you know that they have a maple syrup standard yes. reserve in, in Canada? Yes, everyone knows that who spends time on the internet, John. Oh, no. I only know it because John's told me about three or four times now. <laughs> but no, I, I think I the maple syrup reserve, reserve is quite well. interesting, isn't it? Because Go on, like, tell us about it. Well, I mean, apparently their <laughs> economy is so dependent on maple syrup that they have to have a reserve of maple syrup so they can actually modify the economy mm. as and when. So they can, like, print money then, really, <laughs> because they can just make more syrup, therefore have more money. But they make the money out of the syrup, so it's very sticky. No, no, no. <laughs> See, the issue is, is right, if, you're, if your economy... These coins are all together! If your economy is based on the value of maple syrup and then people start hoarding maple syrup and not selling it, the value of maple syrup goes up, and so you have a maple syrup reserve. Yeah. Just thousands of bottles, presumably. To, to avoid to then throw into the market, yeah, impacting To, to make sure that you can modify the price of the... What yeah. is the plural? Roll of moose, uh, maize, maize, mees, mees, yeah, mooses, mooses. I think it's just moose. It's one of those sad animals that only has the plural is the same as the single. You know, sheep. sheep yeah, sheep's fishes is better than fish. Fishes is better than fish. Well, anyway, you know, we can all hope to be lucky enough one day to enjoy some truly Canadian maple syrup. I've had it myself, <laughs> and I find it to be a little rich. A little unnecessary. Which is ironic because that's what their economy is based on. Rich. Mm. Yeah. Mm. There we go. Yeah. You can't eat gold. Well, but you can eat Freddos. That's true. You can eat Freddos. Yeah. You can put money into whiskey. That this raises in value all the time. Is that what you've done? No, I don't have enough money <laughs> to invest in anything. You've put. You've got a little investment portfolio, haven't you? <laughs> You're talking about my excellent trades that I started <laughs> yeah. during the. Um, uh, the, the very now, profitable. Just be, just... <laughs> now, there may or may not have been a huge cut there, uh, but if there was, that's why I'm looking at the camera. And if there wasn't, 
there probably should have been. And Stephen <laughs> Dunn, maybe not doing the job. Who they paid to do anyway? Oh, back from the break. Do we even that just after the break? Do we even? You're start all in control. Good Don't shower us. It's, happening today. it's not long to the end of the season. We can do more. This is fine. It's really not long until the end of the season, yeah. is it? Hmm. Did you know in 2012? <laughs> Might as well get our fun. <laughs> did you know in 2012 thieves made off with nearly 3,000 tons of maple syrup? Thieves. Valued thieves. How do they hold it? <laughs> I think they stuck it, stuck it in their pockets. Wow. That doesn't make sense. It'll fall Valued out. Valued at an estimated $18 million. That's 13.6 million pounds for those people who... Could you swim in it? Or would you get... Would you no, s- it's too viscous. Two-thirds of the down. stolen too syrup viscous. was later recovered. Two-thirds? They, they clearly ate the other third. <laughs> there's, one, there's one other person there going, I don't know what happened <laughs> to the other third. Uh, but I am feeling the quite other, stodgy. Uh, a thousand tons of maple syrup. Yeah, good lord. Yeah. Wow. What's heavier, a thousand tons of that or a thousand tons of steel? Mm. Mm. One that we'll find out the answer to after we discuss Arsenal 2. No, that's wrong. Well, it's correct in a way, a manner of speaking. But West Ham United 2. 2. Arsenal Football Club. Now, have they gone and fucked it? That's the big, <laughs> that's the main question, isn't it? That's what we're all gathered here today for. Even the Arsenal fans, they want to know the answer to that. Will I have misery or will I have joy or will actually it not make a difference in the grand scheme of my life and I'm going to die anyway and within two or three generations probably people won't even remember my name or that I ever existed. (laughs) You know, does it actually matter? No, Apple, keep deferring. I don't want to update my computer now. God damn it. Right, anyway, um, have they gone and fucked it? What do you think, JJ? Uh, I think... I think that Arsenal uh, have to win all their games, which is very difficult to do. Yes. And what we're seeing is that when they don't have Zinchenko, it changes things enormously. When they don't have um, Saliba, it changes things enormously. And uh, that's basically what you're getting. And then they've had a couple of games in a row now where they've gone 2-0 up and have then let it go. Is that a mentality yeah. issue? Or is it, I don't know, Like even little things like... Like Kieran Tierney is a brilliant left back, uh-huh. and I've always rated him very highly from his days as a young player at Celtic. He was like a captain at nineteen or something like that. Yes. Magic, but he just doesn't really have the skill set to play inside the pitch, really. No. And it's it's simple things like the speed of pass from outside to in. If it's not like fast enough, then it gets intercepted, and you see it for I think one of the goals, isn't it, or one of the chances the West Ham get where he passes it inside, and it's just intercepted easily, and then they push it up the other end. Mm-hmm. And because they're in a big wide open shape at that point. That's bad. Rosenchenko might not have played that pass because he can see the danger or he would have just pinged it so it went to feet. Worth saying, uh, Thomas Partey had a, a very off game as well. Um, yeah. He was quite poor and was actually substituted off um, about 20 minutes before before the end, which has been unusual so far this season in terms of his performances. Yeah, and you can see like it's, it's really uh, useful at times for Gabriel Jesus to drop really deep and, and get himself involved in all sorts of bits of the play so it's very hard to work out where the hell he is than stop him, but then do you actually would you rather have someone up top like when Ketia would have done if he was through the middle or something or Trossard just playing further up? Mm. There's like there's different arguments to it. There's no right or wrong in it. Um, I think just something happened. Like it's one of these things that's weird. It's weird about football is that when they're two 0 up and then there's that the first goal is a penalty, wasn't it? Uh, if I recall correctly, yeah. Was the first one or was the second one? Second one was penalty. No, for West Ham. For West, West Ham, yeah, Ben yeah. Rama penalty. And that's what I remember. Bowen scored an equaliser. Because again, we just spent the entire fucking time on WhatsApp during this game as well. That's so like, right. Yeah. yeah. So then, like, 
uh, that goal, and then it just changes the momentum in the players because they were just they were just sort of standing still. West Ham players they had no energy or intensity. And David Moyes, you see him like a couple of clips, and I'm like, what the hell are you doing at the side of the pitch? You can't get into them until half time, whatever. But then that just changes it, and then the stadium gets a bit louder. Well, it's, 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 with it's worth saying as well that you know Arsenal went two 0 up within ten minutes, so it, 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 it seemed at that one, point yeah. that it was going to be you know a, an absolute smashing. Yes, I, I th- for me like the issue here is is not about. Is Arsenal. That's a word, but you just added an extra H. Smashing. Yeah. yeah. I, I like to do Sorry, that. John. Yeah, sorry. Oh, that's all right. Go on. I was pick just going to say the thing here with, pick up again. with Arsenal pick is up that again. they. Pick, pick it up again. That is the most annoying thing that no, you No, no, pick, pick, pick it up again. <laughs> You're going to talk. I'm not going to talk. I, prom- I promise. I swear on the life of everyone I know and love that I won't talk. You are. Pick it up I'm again. Just... <laughs> <laughs> no, cut this bit out and pick it up again. Um, I can't even remember what I was going to say. Surely the issue here is that Arsenal are giving away leads, right? So we can talk all all we want about the players that they're missing out on, mm. but they clearly are doing enough in both of the last two games well, to get into a situation yeah. where it's they're two 0 up, and, and then the, they their give first it away, two goals right? were lovely as well. So it's like from an attacking perspective, they yeah. clearly still gel. In the obviously they were in transitional moments, and West Ham made some mistakes to allow them to occur, but that's not where the, the game. Yeah, was the, lost. well, the question then is is about control, and and that's where things seem to be seem to be a little bit more. Um, Shaky, and I think there's something that we talked about a lot at the beginning of the season because there was a few games I think where remember really early on maybe was it against Southampton where Arsenal went maybe two nil up mm. and then conceded a goal, and part of the problem was that when Arsenal were trying to control the game they were keeping the ball deeper in their own in their own half and they were trying to retain possession in those sorts of areas but the problem was is it allowed Southampton to step up press them and if they turned the ball over then they had a really easy route to goal and what we've seen I think through the course of the season is is Arteta getting his team to be braver and braver and try and control games in the opposition halves in the way Mm. that City do right which is you know they spend the whole time possessing the ball around the edge of the opposition's box and yes it's very aggressive and you leave yourself exposed at the back. But the idea is is that if you turn the ball over, there's still a huge amount of distance for a team to go to to actually profit from that from that turnover. Whereas yeah. what I think we're seeing from Arsenal in the last couple of games is an inability to control the ball and, and move the opposition into their into their own half and keep them there. And rather actually Arsenal shrinking and going deeper and deeper and deeper in in possession of the ball, um, and to, to an ex- to the extent that they then can't get out of their of their own half, or they give yeah. the ball away and 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 give up these these turnovers. That and seems so it's like almost, a mindset thing to me. Well, it's almost like they should go back to doing that um, the horseshoe thing where they didn't end up scoring any goals or getting chances created because no one's in the box, mm. and then just getting control of the ball that way and just. Like you saw City, I know they they almost threw it away against Leicester as well by doing a similar sort of thing where they just put in loads of substitutes and mm. the level dropped. But they, like what City do a lot, like John's saying, is then they just pass it and just make the game kind of boring. But that's yeah. how you win it out. You just control it by making it dead. And then yeah. rather than trying to attack, you see a chance to attack, you just mm. go backwards. And then that, and it just slows everything down. You drop it, the noise of the crowd. Everything goes down and suddenly you've got control of the game. <laughs> well, it's e- worth saying as well, I, I might not be a football expert, but I am a Rocket League expert, right? And we, I, I find, <laughs> I'm sure you'll find this too, Rocket League, for those uh, unacquainted listeners, is a, a video game where you play as a car, but you play football. Yeah, football, but as a car. Normally it's 2v2 or 3v3, you know. But if you're ahead in a game of Rocket League, the instinct often can be to drop back and defend your goal because it is actually quite hard to score a goal in, in Rocket League and normally goals come from significant defensive errors, right? But I've noticed over many years, late nights, of sweating away furiously at my computer, my hands dripping with agony and pain uh, playing Rocket League, 
that uh, it's often better when you're ahead to stay in the opposition's half and to kind of just keep the ball coming back. You make them chase it. You you starve them of their ability to to progress the ball at all. Um, and also when when the opposition team when they're defending in their own half, every action they make feels necessary. Whereas when they're defending you in your half they feel like they're, they're under a lot less stress, a lot less pressure, right? There's a big psychological element to it, but I guess I'm saying... If only there were some sort of sport that yeah. was like that. That was like that. But <laughs> that when, we could do a podcast but on. the yeah. car thing is confusing yeah. if you weren't in a car. Mm. And the lack of gravity as mm. well. But yeah. this, is, this is interesting because I think a lot of people complain about Pep City being all about control and being boring. Having right? too much gravity. But this is precisely why. Arsenal, I think, play very similar football to Man City, but they play, I think, much quicker. Yeah. They're, they're, much, more, they're much more likely to be direct in their attacks. And, and less um, vary, varying speeds. So it's mostly kind of... Yeah, it's, it's usually quite aggressive, direct attacking, and yeah. you, you see them moving down the, the pitch quickly. And that's great because it allows them to score the sorts of goals that they scored at the weekend and the the sorts of goals that they've scored against Liverpool the previous week. But the problem is, is that when when your progression play is so based around direct attacking um, uh, ball progression, I think it leads you to problems when you you get into those situations where, because this is what happened in both of those games. They got to 2-0 and they're like, right, we've scored the two goals. Now all we need to do is sort of sit back a little bit and they don't continue with with the the same sort of possessional stuff that they were doing before, yeah. it changes the way that they're playing, and then and th- and that's when the issues come in. They then concede a goal, and then the panic starts setting in, and you can see that. And there's there's been a few situations now where you just that th- them shrinking, like you said before, seems seems like a psychological thing. It definitely is because you get into this situation where you're like, oh shit, we keep giving up these chances in when we're two two nil up conceding. <laughs> We're obviously too open. We need to get deeper. Mm. And so that's what really happened in the Liverpool game as well, is they just started, they're like, the only way we can stop them from scoring now is we're not going to be able to stop them progressing the ball. All we can do is like stop them from having easy chances. And do you know as well, because then teams naturally do that all the time. I see this a lot with like Aberdeen in Scotland, is that in the past when they've been, maybe had a lead against a big team or something like that, and then naturally they drop deeper. But managers, like having spoken to a couple of them, they, they haven't told their players to do this. Like It's not the manager's mm. decision. The players just naturally do it. And so if you're in a Premier League game, you can shout all you want, but if, you, if they hear it, that's one thing. If you can get everyone actually to activate that and start doing it. And everyone at the one. same time too, because if you're a proactive player, an experienced player maybe in that situation, and you know we shouldn't be dropping this deep, yeah. if you don't stay with the team, you're leaving big, massive, empty holes behind you. So even oh, if yeah. you're trying to push up more... And if the leaders are then like going back, back like yeah. if Jacques is going back, Nodegaard is dropping up back a bit, you're like, yeah. well, I better do this then. I better yeah. go back now. There was yeah. a really good piece in The Athletic. It was, I think it was Alan Shearer interviewed a few coaches um, who yeah. are in charge of clubs that are in danger of going down, talking about the pressure of coaching sides that are going down. And Gary O'Neill, the Bournemouth coach, really interesting because he was saying, I find match days really stressful mm. because I just have no control on those days. You spend the whole week preparing and you get your players into a mindset where they can, they, they know how they're supposed to behave on the pitch. But when it comes to the game itself, there's really not a huge amount you can do. You can no. change structures, you can bring on different players. But the dynamics of the game largely are just dictated by what the players do. And yeah. I think we don't think of coaching in that way, right? We think, oh, the coach tells them what to do in every moment. Like yeah. that, that player Like it's a thinking, video game. It's yeah. so frustrating this. And then people will think like... Uh, that what they've what I think some people genuinely think what they shout at the players before a game and at half time like come on lads is what a manager does and mm. and then they don't have control of the team or they're a bad manager because they've not come out and done things like it like Pep wouldn't go in the it didn't used to it Bayern didn't go near the dressing room on like a 
a match day or whatever, you would never go in. You would speak to them in the... A lot of their prep is done the day before. Like their team talk is the day before. Mm. And then they, all the players just deal with themselves and get themselves revved up and someone else would do a speech or something like that. Mm. It's not always just a manager telling them exactly what to do and control them like a computer game. I'd yeah. like to do a speech though. <coughs> Excuse me. I've thought about myself doing a speech oh, before yeah. at half time. I don't, well it depends on the situation. Okay, so it? you're... you're it's a random team. You're down in uh, in East London and Hackney Marshes. That's where you are. I can't speak to people from East London. I can't do no, it. It's just a, they it's... look at me and they think, who's this landed gentry? Where's he come from? <laughs> all right, That's it's... not me. That's not me. You need to send me to, where would I go? Where would I be best? A different country. Different country. Uh, okay, so it would be someone where they'd need to Belgium. have English. <laughs> now let's go to like um, Scandinavia. America. I feel like I'd do well in America. America. Yeah, I want to go to America. The United States of America. All right, so it's a college. It's a big uh, big college game. It's a college. It's the varsity game. Okay. They're yeah. playing against the their rivals. Game. Fine, okay, here we go. I got it. I got it. <clears throat> Guys, we're halftime. It's the halftime break. And this is, this is you. It's me, Joe Devine. 1-1 one, one here at halftime. Now, if you want to see your family again, <laughs> you better win the game. Because if you don't win the game, you ain't never going to see your family <laughs> Your accent has again. changed incredibly. <laughs> Your your never gonna see your, your family, family. <laughs> your family who are from a very <laughs> notorious part of the country. Your family will never be seen, not by here, no hair, no hair, <laughs> never by you, nor him, nor me ever again, because they will be dead, sir. <laughs> <laughs> And then, again, I feel like the team is overloading us. I feel like the team's overloading us on the wings. <laughs> Can you open half? Young man, I don't know what you're saying when you talk in that way. With the other van, the teams are coming down on the wings and we can't, we can't beat them. How are we going to change it? Is this what I sound like to you? That's <laughs> what Don sounds like. You're coming it back to us from a cut. <laughs> it's unclear when the cut was cut. It might even, you know, there's a possibility that, the, that for the last five minutes, this podcast has only been me telling you you're coming back from a cut. Because there's been a lot to cut. Death by a thousand cuts, I believe. Chelsea won. John McKenzie two. Brighton Hove Albion now. The interesting thing about this was that Brighton went in as favourites into this game. And they won. And they won. Yeah. <laughs> the expectation was that they would win. They did win. Mm. They won by a colossal number of shots uh, versus Chelsea's and uh, <laughs> shots on target you win, isn't it? versus Chelsea's. They won by one goal, but they did put up a They won by one goal, but it was a, it was a shellacking, let's it was, say. It was. It yeah. was a smashing. And, it was a um, smashing. And, yeah, I think Brighton dominated this game start to finish Chelsea did manage to get a, a long deflected shot go into the goal yeah, early on yeah. but even that didn't really stop the the the, the train that is the Brighton goal. yeah they they are able to they're able to dominate um teams in in their build-up and it, it, unsurprisingly Chelsea's out of possession play was not good enough to mm. to stop them from doing what they do and um yeah I think the the, 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 the scoreline could have been even higher in, it could have been Brighton's favor. Brighton's second goal uh, Enciso, the 19-year-old Uruguayan, I believe, if he's from Uruguay. What a brilliant goal that was. Lovely goal, yeah. Wow, yeah. And it gives us an excuse to talk about how great Brighton's recruitment is. Because Well, tell tell me about this, because, you know, we, the irony here being in this game, they're playing against a team that has bought a significant number of yes. players, um, a kind of, you know, 
some would even say an embarrassing number. I've just seen that goal for the first time right now. Holy. Isn't it amazing? Yeah, it's an absolutely fantastic goal. Um, whereas Brighton, every single time they lose one of their players, who we think, well, that, that one's one of the next best in the world, they just get another one from somewhere. It's like they've got a little factory somewhere where they're making them themselves. Yeah, there was a graphic that was on the BBC just breaking down the cost of their starting eleven against Chelsea, which, you know, what whatever, these these things are never really indicative of anything. But Brian's starting eleven was worth fifty two point eight million <laughs> in terms of their bought value. Or half of one Anthony. Yeah, yeah, basically. And and if you consider the fact that Adam Webster, who was playing that day, cost twenty million, which is a big chunk of that fifty million. Yeah. And they've used Levi Colwell for most of the season, who is on loan from Chelsea, that would bring it down to close to well, bring it down closer to thirty million. Well also Estupignon is fifteen million. So if you put him and yeah, Webster a, together, that's over half of the rest yeah, of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then as you're saying, like fifty two point eight million wouldn't buy you like most of the individuals for Chelsea, right? No, no. Um, on the on the values that they've been bought and sold for. So yeah, this is. I mean, obviously Brighton enjoy certain economies of scale. Um, let's call it where they can bring in those players. There's risks involved, obviously, but they also are in a position where they can buy those players and not get milked for for everything they're worth. But they do have this great recruitment strategy where um, they are able to bring in players um, and then send them out on loan somewhere or put them back in the team that they've been bought from for another season to aid their development mm. um, to make sure that they're at a level that they can be then brought into the team so it's just a really nice um, approach to making sure that you're buying players before they're overvalued because they are at the level that you can play them in the Premier League you buy them before that happens you make sure you oversee that process so that you get them to a point where they are ready to play in the Premier League and then you bring them in having spent very little money for them so yeah, yeah like I mean Joel Veltman they bought for 900,000 from I mean he got him from Ajax but like there's players like Caicedo who they got for 4.5 mil who they're obviously going to sell for big money Matoma 2.5 um, Evan Ferguson on a free um <clears throat> Alexis McAllister, seven million, and, yeah. and and then they sent him back to the the club that he'd been playing. He played in Argentina for two seasons after that. And then sounds like he's leaving in. in the summer as well. But he'll yeah, I'm go sure for they a big will. Fee, right? Yeah, so they're just just really smart recruitment. Um, yeah. They do take risks, and not all of them the, the risks that they take come off, obviously. But because they're paying such low fees, and then they're selling players on mm. for big money, that's all absorbed in that cost as it's well. It's amazing. So. I feel like we'll look back on this uh, this team <clears> this period with uh, with. Great admiration. Also interesting um, perspective here from inside the TIFO studio uh, because whilst you're there talking about economies of scale and smart recruitment, JJ Bull over here laughing when you said milk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kept going through that. I thought, I I you, thought were proud you did a good job. I tried hard too because he really was I losing really it. I really tried not to there. disrupt. Uh, yeah. What is it you were thinking about Brighton being milk? <laughs> they were milking the players. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was like, maybe that's how they get the... Um, the football juice. The new players. Yeah, they milk... There's the like old players. I was imagining the players are there being milked like a like a factory cow. That's right. Well, I mean, if that was the case, then uh, goodness gracious me, the dairy production at Chelsea very large indeed. Because there's so many new players, you would have thought the uh, the, the pintage must be out of this world. <laughs> Pintage is a good word, Thank isn't you. it? It is a good word. Yeah. I use that. Uh, my point really here, uh, JJ Bull, is that um, Chelsea are a fucking mess, man. And like to be honest, uh, Frank Lampard took over well, just over a week ago, three games since. I think the idea was that there'd be a bit of a bit of a new manager bounce and that the fans would be happy to see you know an old legend of the team back. Unfortunately for him and for the team, it's really not worked out. They've lost those three games and it seems as though the mood is as low as it ever was. Um, that's not great. It was pretty nuts. Like that, there's that athletic article that was um, pointing out. It's a, I can't remember who wrote it. It's a, it's a, one of the multiple writers on it. I think they do, in a report right. and how like all these players they've signed, they've have players who have to get 
like in the dressing room at, at training, they don't have enough space, so they have to train in a separate yeah, little tiny yeah. room on a sofa, basically. And then you can't, like, I think we talked about this before, but if you're doing training sessions, like, you build them for how many players you've got, and normally you'd, if you want to do 11 v 11, like, then that's one thing you can do. But they've got so many players, they have to have 11 v 11 running on one pitch and a 9 v 9 on another, yeah. which is insane. Yeah. So you can't possibly get the attention for each player. I mean, it's like a, it's a, a class at school and you've got too many kids and the teacher can't look after them all at once and yeah. no one's going to benefit. And then you'll have loads of little, I'd imagine, uh, that there'll be, because how do you possibly manage that, get them all together to be comrades? Maybe you get <laughs> comrades. Like they're gonna, I don't sure. know where I'm going with that one. Take over the rest of London. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they might form like clicks and then that's not maybe what you want to have because mm. you want to make sure it's a whole team, but it's impossible to balance that team together. Well, it's, un- it's undoubtedly going to be added to in the well, summer. Well, they, I mean, they need a striker. Christopher like, Nkuku is going to come. He's an extra attacking midfielder. Like, they don't need another one of those. Yep. They're going to find a new uh, manager. Let's just imagine hypothetically for a moment that it was, uh, you know, Julian Nagelsmann is a name that's been connected with Chelsea in the rumour mills a lot. Um, that person's going to want to bring one or two people with them. Like, you can see the situation becoming untenable. They they also have their their very own deadline day, don't they? They have a as a result of a various um, uh, financial uh, requirements balancing acts. There is a day in the summer where they are required to to sell a certain number of, of players by. So it, I feel like the transfer would the Chelsea chaos is going to rumble on past the end of the season. Yeah, we, we've not seen the end of it. Well, here. it seems like a bit of a mess. This is a thing I've been told a few times, and you can see it. Like the what you see in the pitch often reflects is what's going on in the boardroom. So if it's a bit of a mess there, that's kind of what you see, and you can see it in the structure of what their team. They're missing key players that they need. Like the goalkeeper is kind of a weak point. Uh, you don't know what their best defensive pairing is, or if they're in a three or a two. They don't know exactly what system they want to play, how they want to play, who's going to play. So there's no identity whatsoever, and Lampard's not there permanently. Uh, that's not going very well, so that's not going to work very well. Whoever comes in will then maybe yeah. try to maybe like Luis Enrique comes in and maybe he's just able to fix it. Like he made a team with Messi, Neymar, Suarez, sure enough, like three of the best players in the world ever at the time um, playing together. But that's a team that doesn't have very much defensive solidity behind it. Made them win a treble; mm-hmm. they were amazing. So every chance you could turn that into it. But then they need to sign a striker. But look at the the squad structure they've got. Like uh, Tuchel got rid of Abraham, um, Giroud. And another, I mean, Lukaku. Aubameyang is, is Lukaku, not really Aubameyang's there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lukaku will come back in yeah. the summer. Is, is interesting. I mean, there's... But they could sell him for 60 million euros or something like that. And it's the, theoretically. So the, the possibility money, yeah. that, he could, that he could play, I'm not, not really sure. Um, it's all just things that Todd don't Bowie work also had, seemed to have a little bit of a Barney with one of the fans there. Uh, well, a bit, of a, you know, a bit of a shouting match at the, um, at the game over the weekend too. Um, welcome to the Premier League I suppose isn't it and this is the thing right they've got all these players of massive contracts a long, over a long period of time they're nowhere near Champions League this season <laughs> who's to say they'll be anywhere near it again next season they easily could right maybe they'll get sorted out and come back in but if you're not in that for a sustained period of time that's a huge amount of money to lose out on every single season mm. then how do you close the gap you look at what Arsenal had to go through to get to where they are going the amount of money they've spent you'd think they probably need to have a bit of revenue coming in from Champions League and European money especially and prize money to be able to get to that point. And then it becomes like a circle where they might end up just being like Liverpool were in the 90s, the late mm. 90s, where they're just stuck in that mid-table, can't get out of that. Could be. Maybe. What do you think, John? Any thoughts? That's a bit over the top, to be honest with you. I guess what I've, I'm interested in is how do you get out of this? Because I, I think people's assumption is is you just bring in a new manager and it sort of works out. But I, I just don't think that that is going to... There's clearly a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of the squad structure and build up in the, in the summer and it's becoming more and more obvious that you can't run a squad with just elite players in every single slot right and that's 
I talk about Pep Guardiola with respect to this all the time. Pep Guardiola always has small squads of elite players, and he can what he can do is he can bring in players who are happy to sit on the bench whilst be good enough to actually play a chunk of games in the season. Yeah. Whereas the the problem that that Chelsea have now is that they have a squad that's good enough to 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 have like a, a conference league win in its third in its third team mm. it's it's mad how much um how much quality they have in the squad and it's like football is not about that it's not about having all of the best players i feel as though we've moved past that that era um and and it feels almost as though the bowley is trying to get the you know the galacticos of the end of the abramovich era with a smart coach but the issue isn't smart coaching it's about smart squad build-up it's about smart management of the players that you have and i feel as though it, it 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 all depends on how quickly they can get over this this initial hurdle that they've created for themselves and yeah. move on to a situation where they're like right let's think about this properly like let, let's look at the way that Man City and Arsenal are doing what they're doing yeah. how do we emulate that it's not just by buying good players and and seeing it all come out in the wash it's it's worth saying as well at this point for 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 the sake of balance i suppose that um Chelsea might say the reason that they bought so many players was because that they could foresee that you know the uh, five year contract over rule being removed um and therefore their opportunity to do that being taken away right so they might say well you know we've we've tricked the system here and we might look a bit silly now because we've got a bloated squad but in four years time we're going to have a squad which costs us yeah. less than it should it could easily work as well yeah. it just looks like it's feeling now yeah because it's gone all wrong but it it could be fixed my mom does this thing that really annoys me right your so mother she, yeah so she goes into the supermarket and it'll be like it'll be like a bag of apples reduced from three pounds to one pound mm. and so what she'll do is she'll buy three bags of apples and then she'll, she'll bring it home apples. and she'll be like i've got loads of apples here which i bought cheap this is great isn't it and i'm like mom we're not going to eat all of these apples some of them are going to go off and i feel as though that's what todd bowley's done he's bought right. he's gone in and he's been like look we've got all of these apples that's a great isn't analogy. This, isn't we this great? But it doesn't matter how many apples you have because you need you can only have a functional amount of apples. Now, tell once me, you've eaten those apples and yeah. the others have gone bad, what who cares kind about of the apples is Mrs. Mackenzie buying? She she's a fan of the Granny Smith. You Granny know. Smith, yeah, which I think a little is soft for my tastes. Soft. I prefer a jazz apple. A real, when a real you say soft, you mean? I feel I think of Granny Smith as being like really sharp and tart. That's exactly what I think of it as. Maybe yeah. I'm thinking of a different kind of. It's apple. the fastest What's the apple? soft apple. A soft apple is maybe like a, a Braeburn. A Braeburn is a soft apple, yeah. But yeah. they can get quite mealy, I think. You know, when you when I they, agree. they get past a, a date and you bite them, and it's like you kind of feel like you could be eating a potato that's been yeah. juiced a little bit. Yeah. It's confusing potato. that juice comes out of them because they're very dry. Yeah, where's all the juice inside the skin? Jazz apples are nice, though. Mm. As are Pink Lady. They're very similar, I think, but they're yeah. quite nice and crisp, aren't they? They're yeah. really like. Mm. And um, what does God say about apples? Um, well, apples. Do you know that's an interesting story? Because, like in the Garden of Eden, of course, that yeah. it's it's considered to be an apple that um, Eve hands to Adam to to tempt him to eat the fruit. Is it an apple? Well, it's not. It's not ever said what it what fruit it is. But oh. in the Latin, I think the word for sin is I I, I don't know what the words, but it's like M A L O some way. It's like malo or something means bad, right? You get mal yeah. in French. Yeah. But I think the word for apple my, is similar. My Spanish is muy mal. So I don't know what that Latin word for apple is. Steve will tell us in a minute, but it's a very similar um, etymological root. And so the assumption was it must be apple because the the, the word sounds the same. Oh. Apples are evil because they sounds like sin. I always thought it was a uh, tangerine. What would the most evil like fruit be? Tangerine. I think tangerine is the most evil. Dragon fruit. fruit. Dragon fruit. Yeah, that's, yeah, that looked quite evil. Avocado is quite an evil fruit, isn't it? Yeah. Avocado. In terms of how, you, never in terms of how you have to yeah. use huge amounts of water to. <laughs> 
avocado, cashews. There's lots of ethical problems around cobalt. avocados. You shouldn't eat avocados, people. You shouldn't have an iPhone, really. Yeah. Pineapples look like they could be evil, but also fun. Yeah. Coconuts. I reckon coconuts <coughs> have probably killed more people than any other That's fruit. That's a nut. Is it a nut? Yeah. Coconut. A legume. <laughs> a legume. That's a bean. That's a peanut. Peanuts are legume. Is it? Hmm. Relief sign. Oh. You're well, right, though. It's like lentils. Are they legumes? I don't know. But I think I do wish you'd bring your mother up more in conversation because I think her analogy there, her very, very foolish uh, supermarket <laughs> shopping it has is the perfect analogy for us to understand what's gone on. Chelsea. And I hope that you can feed back to her I'll and tell her, her I'll be like, Mom, use Ted I'll Bowie use it the other way around. Yeah, like, yeah, Mom, yeah. And she'll go, wow, Bowie? I've never thought about it that way before. Yeah. By the way, here's a delicious apple I'll pie. I'll be like, Mom, look, here is the Chelsea squad. Yeah. Does this remind you of your apples? You'll be saying it all smugly, smugly <laughs> while you're munching on delicious crumble. <laughs> That's right, yeah. yeah. By the way, it's apples for dinner. Apples for <laughs> apples dinner. Apples for every yeah. meal. I would eat apples for dinner. Yeah. How many use apples? No, I mean, I even I need You can put apples into savoury dishes, can't you, with pork? You can. What did, big... you, what did producer Don say? Uh, you can make good soup. Good apples. apple really? soup. Mm. Wow, that's interesting. Never that's that apple is cool. Sauce. I like that. Yeah, soup with apple before. So, it's malon, by the way. Latin for apple. So it's mallow and malon, right? So it's a melon. Melon. Now, malon is the Latin word for apple, and mallow is the Latin word for evil or which, sin. Which word is melon for? I don't know what melon means in Latin. <laughs> <laughs> Should we have? Do we have a? Did we ever have a second break? No. Oh, God. Shit. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, well, now we've learned about fruit. Let us have a break and think more about fruit during the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ooh, kumquat. Yeah. Grape. Have you ever eaten kumquat? Yes. What is it? I don't. I have literally no idea what it is. I just Google know it. Oh. Mm. Now, how do you spell it? <laughs> Where is it stored? <laughs> um, next up, here, we're back here to talk about the Champions League quarterfinals. Yeah, it's like a really small orange. But yeah, it is a tiny little orange. And it comes in leaves. A uh, bit, of a, bit of, a, of a review, I should say, and a look, and a look back. Can I sneeze? <laughs> <laughs> no, the sneeze is gone. Do you look into the light? You know, only, only some that's, people do that. There's a light there. Uh, that's not everyone can do that, apparently. I thought it was just normal. Not everyone everyone can look into a light. No, when they sneeze, because if they look into a light, then I can sneeze. Yeah, yeah. I just look up. I look into the light, you sneeze, yeah. yeah. Well, the first leg of Champions League fixtures <laughs> happened last week. Fantastic. This episode being released on a Tuesday, of course. So there's a game this evening. If you're listening on day of release, there's a game tomorrow. Uh, all sorts of different games at different times. Um, Manchester City 
big old shellacking on Bayern Munich. 3-0 from the first leg. Seems, I mean, it could be overturned. Seems unlikely that it will be. Uh, Real Madrid, of course, also, I believe, won 2-0 in the uh, the first leg against Chelsea. Seems less likely that that one's going to be overturned. But again, anything can happen. Let's chat about those two first before we go on to talk about the games involving can the Can I give the you Italian an interesting teams. fact? Please do. Um, Is it, th- does it involve your mother? No. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. But um, I think almost all of the teams apart from Real Madrid and, and Man City dropped points in, in their weekend fixtures. Mm. A lot of the teams actually changed their lineups quite stringently. So Man City yeah. went... Whatever it was, was it three up or four up, and yeah. then and then changed and then changed everything around. A lot uh, of big teams losing at the weekend. What's Tottenham's excuse? They weren't in the. Uh, <laughs> they weren't in. They didn't have any other games, yeah, did well, they? Yeah. They're just shit. Mm. Please go on though. But yeah, so there's clearly a lot of a lot of teams have, are considering the second leg of their of their game to be more important than their league form, um, perhaps. Well, and indeed, it, it probably is. Yeah, it probably is. So um, it will be fascinating to see what impact that has on, on the games. Yeah, OK. Um, Manchester City, perhaps, maybe not the biggest surprise. They're clearly the strongest team left in the tournament. 3-0, I think, is a is a surprise. Yes, I think, especially given that the game took quite a turn after the 60th minute for me, and um, I think largely due to out-of-possession stuff that changed, which I think we'll do a video on later in, in the week. But mm. um, that that changed the course of the game in a way that I think a lot of people were like, well, you know, Bayern weren't actually that bad, and then and then there was just a couple of defensive errors uh, that, that led to them um, losing by, by a considerable margin, margin. But again, I think that though, those errors were prompted by the way that Man City changed their pressing. So, yeah, yeah Man City go into this with essentially not a huge amount to do other than make sure they don't concede three goals which I think makes makes your life a little bit easier although as we've talked about with Arsenal right sometimes if you think too defensively it can it can impact the way that you control games but mm-hmm. uh, Pep, Guardiola, Pep Guardiola this is not his first rodeo so he'll be no. I'm, I'm sure he'll be fine he's been to many a rodeo before mm-hmm. as have all the Real Madrid players uh, JJ currently 2-0 up against Chelsea to go back to Spain, where was the, where, did, where was that first game? Where did the first game take place? Was that it was in, Bridge or? it was in Bernabeu? So it was in the Bernabeu. So the, the Real Madrid players coming coming to London um, for for the Tuesday night game this evening. Uh, very, I mean, it's unlikely that it will be overturned, don't you think? Based on kind of current form, Chelsea's current form. I can't see it. The uh... Joe, sorry to interrupt, JJ. Joe, uh, the Real Madrid game is Wednesday. Oh, okay. Yeah, fine, uh, sorry, no, fuck, ignore me. Oh, we, I'm looking at the first leg. Oh, let's keep all of that in, so, please, so that we, we can go. see what I have to deal with here <laughs> at the TFO Football Podcast. Here I am, making sure I do my own research, my own work, knowing things in my very own head, Steve. And there you are, getting confused on a computer, looking at a computer, and it confuses your little brain, doesn't it? I just want to say you're doing a great job. Thank so you. Thanks, Steve. Carry on. Yeah, you're doing a mediocre job. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And we'll have your performance performance through a review immediately after uh, this episode. But please carry on, JJ. Real Madrid, I don't think they even really had to try that hard in the first leg. They were... I mean, you had Ancelotti doing like keepy-ups on the sideline when the ball went out of play. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not, obviously... That doesn't mean that's how good they were. Sure. But there's just something about that that you maybe wouldn't try if you were in a... If it was a nil-nil tense, you're probably not doing a few keepy-ups to get yeah. the crowd going. Yeah. Um, I think they could have... I think a lot of players had a really bad game. Like it's a lot of it's structural. In the first leg, uh, Lampard set them up to just try and hit over the top. So the new Real Madrid would push up, and they put two. They put uh, Felix and Sterling up top to try and get them in behind, uh, and they get a couple of balls in behind that they almost managed to get something out of. And it would have been one of those, you know, people say like it's a tactical masterclass because mm. they managed to beat them by doing by blocking everything down in their own half by being shit, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then hitting them on the counter. 
Uh, but I like Real just complete control of it, and I mean yeah. the difference in quality between Modric, Kroos, and Valverde and any midfield that exists currently is is massive. Well, now I'm interested in that because it seems at the moment that the most likely outcome for semi final is Real Madrid, Manchester City. Yes, that feels like an exciting game, a rehash of last time out too. What would be your instincts? I mean, uh, for God forbid you speak too soon, John, but do speak. Well, I don't see why it would be much different from what happened last time, right? Which will be Man uh, Man City largely controlling the game for long periods and then Real Madrid doing what they do in, in short bursts and, and causing problems in that way. Mm. Um, I, I suspect... I suspect that maybe Madrid have dropped off a little from last season, so maybe not. They're not quite so good. They're definitely weaker defensively. Um, like the back lane, I think, yeah, isn't strong. But it, it, it's it's the age old debate, right? Isn't it? It's like the the, the debate between like really structured teams mm. um, and and more, I guess. What's the? I don't want to say anything that's insulting because I think it's a it's, it's a good way of. It's a, you it's don't a want to say viable. vibes. I don't want to say vibes. Um, but I want to say it, moments teams. Yeah, they are moments teams, and 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 they are teams who rely on the quality of their players. They get those players into situations where they they're all around the, each other and the ball, and you you allow them <laughs> to solve problems. I think that's yeah. the best way of thinking about it. Is that when you when you have Pep Guardiola as a coach, he has solutions to problems in every phase of play that are developed structurally. So he'll he'll tell you how you should can do things to get around the opposition's problems. Whereas when you have a team like Real Madrid. You rely on the players themselves to come up with the solutions that the opposition opposing to them by by using their their elite talent and and you know making the difference when it when it happens. I think yeah. personally that you know in the long run the the more structured approach is probably the more functional, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that you can't win. As we've seen evidenced by the fact that Real Madrid have such a impressive. I, I agree with that. It, it's almost because they've got just these exact group of players that um, they're probably underrated this Real Madrid team somehow. Because they think of what they've achieved. They've dominated Europe for ages with that core of like Kroos, Modric, Casemiro was there before. And a lot of players, well, some players were there at the very start. You had Carvajal, I think it was the very start of that kind of run. And they've carried it on all the way through. But like they can only play in that way because they have people like Modric, who is, like, he's like Messi level almost. Of um, like He's been amazing. You mm. forget how good he is when you watch him. And they also never believe that they're down and out in fixtures, right? The last, yeah. the last Champions League run was, was simply... Real seeming like they were in a and just completely out of it, and then having two yeah. or three moments where they they just do they do I, it turn I, it around and I, the momentum shifts. Right? I mean, I think I have to say though that the the difference between this the obvious difference between this season and last season is, is Erling Holland, who himself is a moments player. If mm. his moment was just ongoing <laughs> and constant, and uh, he could score at any moment and you know completely change the game, right? Yeah, and I think a lot of people have been making that argument that the reason why. City brought in Holland is for these knockout games where you just need someone who you can get the ball to in certain yeah. situations. But I, I still am yet to see Man City play with Holland and and sort of get to desperation levels where they're just yeeting it into the box to see what he can sure. do. So well, often it, that's it, because of the game state. They've already scored yeah, three goals I mean, and they don't yeah, need to course, do that. Right? Yeah. Okay, fine. Well, the other the other side of the draw, uh, Benfica nil two Inter from from last week, which was a, a perhaps a bit of a shame uh, for JJ Bull. You're a big fan of of Benfica there but they couldn't quite cut it in that I like game. this Benfica team yeah, yeah. 
uh, and I've watched a bit of them. So Fine. that is a shame. But you never know. You never know. It, it, it was, was it, it was in Portugal, so they will go uh, yeah. to, to to Milan to to play Inter. Wasn't it in Inter, Inter played Porto, didn't they? In and they really had to hang on a little bit. They were, I think, they'd done the same thing where they'd gone up in the away leg and came back home, and then really right. had to hang on at the end to to make sure that they didn't concede. So well, there's nothing anything to lose can happen. for Benfica. Anything yeah. can happen in the UEFA Champions League. Now uh, the other game, Milan won. Nil Napoli, a bit of a repeat, John, of the, the not too distant uh, recent league fixture as well. Um, you sort of think, I believe, Milan Napoli, not a terrible matchup for Milan, yeah, despite how good Napoli have been this season. I think it's worth saying that like, a lot of times when we go into assess how a, a game will unfold, we usually just go on form and sort of relative league position when we think yeah. about how teams are going to play so you see Napoli top of the league and you think well they're obviously going to be better than Milan but but you John what you do is you look again and then you find the thing that's going to upset the most people that's you right, say yeah. that right no, but again the, the Villa Newcastle game is a good example of that whereas a lot of people would have thought Newcastle were the, were the favourites in that game but there are tactical reasons why why Villa mm. could have caused problems and did um, and I think the same is true with, with the Napoli Milan um, fixture yeah. I think um, obviously Napoli were missing Victor Osserman um which is which isn't great. He's obviously an important part of their their goal scoring, but I think he's also really important for them out of possession. Yeah. Um. In a in a statement that will surprise no one. Um. But I think <laughs> Milan Milan are an outlier team in in Serie A really, or at least at the top level of Serie A, because they're they're really good out of possession and they're really aggressive out of possession. And teams who are good at build up can often get destabilized by teams who are are like that. They also really really good at playing in transitional moments as well. Mm. And they have Teo Hernandez and uh, Rafael Leao, two of the most exciting transitional players in the world yeah and and so what they can do so well is they can stop teams from from getting the upper hand in terms of the possession um destabilize and win the ball back and then release their their players and um i think rafael leao in particular is a real big game player like really turns it on in these sorts of fixtures so mm. um we've seen them already knock out um spurs as well having been one nil up and then going back and defending that yeah um so i think it may not be the most attractive game of football ever um, I suspect that they'll they'll be they'll just they'll be really locked onto not conceding rather than going out and scoring. Um, but yeah, I think they it could go either way. If if Ottoman comes in and and has a couple of a couple of moments, it, that could be it. But sure. yeah, I think there's it will be. I think one of the most interesting fix, fixtures actually, just in terms of this is the one which probably could go the either way the the most. Is this the sense. one you'll be watching? What day is it on? I believe it's on the same day as uh, Madrid-Chelsea. I think it's tonight. Yeah, I'll probably watch that. Just winking at Steve, waiting for him, him to interrupt me there. You, uh, yes. Oh, <laughs> there he goes. He's, he's interrupting me to cor- say I'm correct. Yes, well done, To authenticate. You're really smashing it today. Thank <laughs> you. I believe in you. Thank you. See, that's the positive um, yeah. that might have worked in your team talk. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. That team talk that may or may not have been cut from the mm. whole podcast. <laughs> it surely made it end, didn't it? It might have done. Some of my favourite bits. It was about 25 minutes long. <laughs> It was oh really we did more on that than we did on any other team. Well, that's because this we know what side of the bread our toast is buttered. Uh, is that right? right? Anyway, uh, that game happening in Naples as well. So very exciting for everyone involved. And that bit was cut for, again, <laughs> reasons that I can't possibly explain to you. That's probably the fifth time that's happened. This, this, is episode. De- this episode is Now the stop death. talking, because remember when you talked last time we had to cut it out? Do you remember what you said? That stuff that we had to cut out? 
That's right. Good boy. There he goes. There he goes. Trot along now, my little podcast piggy. Now, what's Whatever way left... to place blame on someone else. Yeah, uh, I like that. It's good, it's good, isn't it? It wasn't, John. It was me. Uh, now, that's <laughs> the, I think that's the end of the podcast, isn't it? I am I'm exhausted now. Is that yeah. the end? Well, we've really put so all rages. of our creative juice into I can't remember into... the last time I was not in this room. No, that's true. We did a lot of milking today, and we really we really paid off. Ate a lot of apples. Ate a lot of apples. Did a lot of team Drank pops. a lot of milk. Did a lot of team talks. Found out about kumquats. Is that it? Is that it, Steve? Oh, please, God, yes. <laughs> okay, well, listen, we'll be back, hopefully, with an exciting announcement oh. next week. <laughs> I hope so. When a lot of this podcast may make sense. <laughs> waiting for something, waiting for something to, to uh, be signed. Oh. And then, then, well, then, I'll just, then I'll discuss, then I'll discuss. But, uh, w- you know, wait. Now, that's the end of the podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week with more from John McKenzie. Yes. Um I laughed so much last week when you woofed by the way. Can you <laughs> can you woof again for me? Woof. Something about how he does the pitch of his woofs. And it is JJ Bull the Bullet. Yes. Yes indeed. Uh Steve Hanky there. Podcast producer. Thank you Steve. No worries. And of course Don as well, who we heard from for the first time I believe today. That made the cut. <laughs> Well, he's in charge of the cut. I'm sure it'll make the cut. Ego glutton as he is. Old Don, that's what we call him. Uh, Fine, we'll be back next week with more. But until then, goodbye. Bienvenue. Bienvenue. And... Alfida Sane. Alfida Sane. Thank you. Athletic.